Great. So we're back in our series in Mark's Gospel. Uh, we're in Mark chapter 12. And we're finishing off chapter 12. Uh, so verses 38 to 44. Mark chapter 12, verses 38 to 44. Um, interestingly, uh, I went on YouTube the other day and I counted the sermons that I've preached at this church. This last week was actually the 52nd sermon I preached. So four years, it seems, yeah, seems only fit that we start the new year uh, with the 53rd. Um, so Mark chapter 12, verses 38 to 44. And the word of God reads, And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who, walk around, who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and have the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to him, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we see out uh, the end of 2023, uh, our worship of you hasn't changed. Uh, our desire to hear your voice through your word hasn't changed. And so, Lord, once again, we pray that you would speak to us through this passage in Mark's gospel to help us as we look back on 2023 and look forward to the new year uh, to be able to look at where our heart has been where our heart should be, and to begin the new year strong with a heart that desires to serve you, that is devoted to you, and most importantly, that loves you. That's what we want, Lord. And so we ask that you would watch over the words of my mouth. May you watch over the meditations of our heart. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we have a lot of young people in this congregation, and we have people that work. And I've been working in the finance insurance industry for the last, I don't even know how long, like 50, I used to say 15 years, but then I realized I said 15 years a few years ago. So it must be more than 15 years now. Um, and as I've worked in finance and insurance and for the big banks, like I noticed that I went through phases and I think it's phases that people go through as they work in a corporate environment. Uh, because when you're young, you're very ambitious. You know, you think, oh, how can I get that next promotion? How can I get that pay raise? Uh, how can I become, you know, that, 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 the youngest manager of a department, and you work so hard to try and work your way up the corporate ladder. 
And there's nothing wrong with having a bit of ambition. Uh, but I'm 37 now. And as I look back, uh, or look at my department and look at where I work, uh, I do see a mixture of different types of employees. Uh, you have guys like that, that are just very driven, very ambitious, and willing to make it happen no matter what. Uh, and then you have other people that are very happy just to do the same job until the day they retire. And as you work in these types of environments, you'll also work under different types of managers. And one thing I've come to find is that the manager, the type of manager that leads your team uh, will really shape the way you work for the company. Uh, like I mentioned, I, I went through different phases. I, I'm at a stage now that I don't even want to work through school. I just, I just want to do ministry, nothing but ministry. Um, pray that would happen. Uh, but I've worked for managers where they only cared for themselves. And when you have a manager that only cares for themselves, uh, you'll find that the team will work in a way where they only care for themselves as well. Uh, so if a manager is only, you know, only cares about her or his or her own ambitions, doesn't care about anyone else, we'll find that the team becomes quite toxic. Uh, the, the members of that team will kind of throw people under the bus so that they can get the next promotion. Uh, but I've also worked under really great managers. Uh, one particular manager, uh, I remember I, I actually got very teary when I left her team. Uh, she, she, for me, like just was the epitome of the perfect manager. Uh, she loved her team. She cared for her team. She defended um, her subordinates. And it just got to a point where she created this culture where you just didn't even care about your career anymore. You just wanted to do well for her. You wanted to perform well, produce good results, to kind of give back to the trust and devotion that she poured into you. And I think when we look at human relationships, we kind of see that not just in the corporate environment, uh, but in other relationships as well. Uh, I, went, I just got back from a recent road trip, like I mentioned, and it was a road trip. Uh, I say it wasn't pleasant because it was, um, it was a house with three bedrooms. Uh, the only bathroom was like a, a laundry room with a shower, and we had to share it between eight people, um, including my poor wife. My wife was the only female there. Um, but during this trip, like we, we deliberately organized it so that we could have pastor, like friends that were in pastoral ministry and people that were mentoring. We were just all there. And um, because my wife was the only female and the married, a married female at that, they started asking her relationship questions. Uh, all these guys, most of them have never dated before, um, but they're at age where they should have gotten married like years ago. Um, and they're asking my wife and sometimes me like marital questions, relationship questions, and you know, what kind of a, a person that they're looking for in a, in a life partner. And I, I, re I realized something, because I started laughing after a while, because um, they're not that much younger than me, but because they've never been married, the things that they're looking for are still quite so temporal. Uh, they're looking for things that appeal to them physically, uh, and they think that if I'm this kind of a guy, this relationship is going to work. If I impress this woman with my car, my house, my job, my vocation, um, if I impress them enough, that they'll fall for me. Uh, and I think a lot of people think like that. Uh, I used to think like that. 
But then once you're married, that isn't enough of a motivating driver to impress someone. Uh, because you can only impress someone with something for so long. Uh, I thought my wife would be impressed with my car. Uh, I bought an SUV. Uh, I'm not very impressed with my car now. <laughs> it's like, I've been driving it for like, I don't know, like 12 years, no, 10 years. Uh, she's not very impressed with it now. Uh, I dressed a particular way because I thought this will impress her. Uh, she's, she, was, she, was, she wasn't impressed back then. She's still not impressed now. But where our motivation stems from is actually quite critical in human relationships. The motivation to serve, the motivation to sacrifice for, the motivation to love. Today's passage will show us that there is a critical thought process that goes behind human relationships and ultimately our relationship with God. Now, if you recall, recall the last few sermons uh, in Mark, uh, we saw that Jesus had a few encounters with the Jewish authorities, people that tried to come and challenge and discredit Jesus. Uh, we had chief priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, Herodians, and even scribes come to ask Jesus questions about the law. You know, what does God say we should do about this? Or does God say we should not do that? And the encounters, uh, encounters in Mark's gospel kind of reached a climax as Jesus taught to those that were present what the greatest commandment was. Like above all these questions that were just asked and debated upon, the thing that supersedes everything, is the greatest commandment one could obey. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And this interaction, this teaching, the purpose of it was for Jesus to explain that beyond the sins of omission and commission, what you do and what you don't do, what God desires ultimately is your heart. He desires a heart of worship. That's why when the Old Testament prophecies talk about salvation and regeneration and re revival, it says, I am going to put a what? A new heart within you. I'm going to take out your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Why? Because God isn't concerned so much with external conformity and obedience, but a conformity and an obedience that is motivated and stems from a heart that loves him. Love driving our desire to serve him. Love driving our desire to serve our neighbor. Now in today's passage, we see Jesus make a comparison between two people. One people group and one person. And this comparison helps us flesh out what this is actually meant to look like practically. Because it's a comparison between the scribes and a poverty-stricken widow. The scribes, who I mentioned previously, uh, they were kind of like the academics of the day. The professors, the theologians, and they were traditionally made up of Pharisees. Uh, the guys that were just obsessed with external obedience. These guys were religious fanatics. And because of their religiosity, Pharisees and scribes, uh, they garnered a lot of respect from the Jewish community. It's like if someone walked into our church, became a member of FLM, and you find out that they've, they've just memorized like half the Bible. Uh, their theology is immaculate. Uh, they, they can explain and preach and speak so clearly. 
you'd have a lot of respect for them, wouldn't you? However, Jesus issues a warning in today's passage about this type of people group, the scribes. And he says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes. They like greetings in the marketplaces, have the best seats of honor in the synagogues and at feasts. They devour widows' houses and for a pretense, they make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. After all the challenges that the Jewish leaders threw at Jesus, it seems like Jesus is now throwing the gauntlet back at them by warning everyone about these religious leaders. Why? Because there was a behavioral pattern amongst these people that had become evident to to Jesus. These guys might have had the appearance of religiosity and holiness. They might have garnered the respect of their peers and earned their places of honor through their devotion to the law. But Jesus knew it was all a show. And to be clear, I just want to be clear, Jesus isn't condemning the wearing of long robes. That's not what he's talking about. Like, he's got nothing against long robes. Wearing a robe and a prayer shawl, that was just the thing back then. Uh, Nor is he condemning having a place of honor at a feast or a festival. He's not condemning having respect or commanding the respect of people. Instead, he's condemning, rather, the motivation that drives a person's desire for these kinds of things. Having discussed with the scribe in the preceding passage about the greatest commandment, Jesus is insinuating that their desire, the desire of the scribes and the Pharisees, it doesn't really stem from a love for God or a love for neighbor. Instead, Jesus is suggesting that it stems from a love of self. And nowhere was this more evident than in their prayers and in their habit of praying on the vulnerable. Uh, I had one individual uh, a long time ago, like, church is a strange place sometimes. Um, And you meet a lot of strange people sometimes. And I remember I had one individual, just intellectually an intelligent guy, um, liked to show off a lot, liked to show off. Um, he was quite verbose. He liked, liked to use a lot of big, fancy words to show everyone his intellect. And I remember we were having a discussion, and he could have said, in my opinion, or, Jay, I think this. Um, a lot of people present. And the way he started his sentence was, if I were to articulate the premise of my thoughts, I'm like, come on, just say this is what I think. Um The the scribes and the Pharisees liked to make fancy long prayers, not because they wanted to uh, converse with God, but because they wanted to show everyone, look, look at me. And like I said, they also prayed on the vulnerable. And Jesus specifically labels which people group, and it was the widows, because the widows back in those days were really one of the most helpless people groups. In society, not not because you know they're women or because of their gender, but remember, this is a patriarchal society, much more than any patriarchal society in the Western world today. 
And because they were patriarchal, the men were considered the breadwinners of the day. It's just, it was a given that the men had to work, provide for their family, put food on the table, put a roof over their heads. And so for a widow, if she lost her husband and she had no sons, she was doomed. She pretty much had to get to a point where it was like, well, I've got nothing. I may as well just get ready for death. For their survival, they had to really rely on the charity of others because without a man in her life, she had nothing. Not so much today, but back then. Uh, this is why in the early church, if you read in Acts chapter 6, the apostles recognized the importance of caring for widows. They didn't want the widows to be discriminated, so they actually appoint a task team to care specifically for the widows. And yet it was this same people group that the scribes and the Pharisees preyed upon and took advantage of. Why? Why would they do this? Well, scribes were academics. And being an academic back then, I don't know about today, wasn't the best paying job. Uh, being a pastor isn't, a good, isn't the best paying job. But all they did was study and teach the scriptures. And kind of like the widows, the scribes had to rely on donations to be able to survive. Uh, they had to rely on donations so that they could spend all their time pouring their efforts into studying the law, teaching the law. However, it had become a habit of theirs uh, to start financially exploiting people, particularly widows because they had no men in their lives to defend them. They began exploiting widows under the guise of devotion to God. It's kind of like those televangelists that you, you know, I don't know if they're still on TV. I remember when I was a kid, uh, there were televangelists that would come on TV and they would ask for donations. Like, and they were very specific, like, sow your $1,000 seed of faith and God will return your blessing tenfold. Um, doesn't matter if you got bills, doesn't matter if you're in debt, send me, sow your $1,000 seed of faith and God will take care of your bills if you have, if you sow it with faith. Um, that's, that's kind of what's going on here. And Jesus says that for these con men, God will issue a greater condemnation. He will pour out a greater wrath on these people on that day. For the scribes, Jesus is pointing out that their obedience, like probably not all of them, but for the most part, their obedience wasn't driven by a love and a heart for God. If it was, the natural byproduct would that they, was that they would have had a heart and a love for their neighbor, including the widows. Not an exploitation, but a love for them. And you see, in obedience that isn't driven out by a love for God, uh, it might have the appearance of religiosity and devotion. But as we saw last week, this kind of distorted and corrupted obedience, that's, that's not the type of obedience that God desires. Nor would we want to see it in our personal relationships. We want sacrifice to be driven by love, don't we? Like if my wife tells me, Jay, can you get me a glass of water? I mean, I could, I could be like, oh, yes, I, of course, my wife. She's one flesh with me. She's the one that God's designated to be 
one flesh with me until the day I die, till death do us part. I could serve her with that kind of a heart, or I could serve her with a bitter heart. I could work for a company where my actions and my words and the quality of my work can just depend all upon me. Or it could be something beyond that. If love doesn't drive relationships, we would be the first to say that there's something wrong, wouldn't there? If your parents were to say, you know what? Like, I, we've got a lot of great parents at FLM. That's one of the things I'm grateful for. Um, but if I were to see a parent and they say, I put a roof over your head to their children. I put food in your belly. Whenever you're sick, I took you to the doctors. I, I worked, I woke up early, worked late to earn money so that you could go to school and get an education. I sacrificed for you. If a car were about to hit you, I would throw my body on the line so that I would die, so that you'd be safe. But then if they were to say, I would do all I did and would do all of this, but I don't like you. I don't love you. You'd say there's something wrong with that, wouldn't you? I hope so. And so Jesus publicly calls out the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders. He said, yeah, on the outside, they, they, they look great. They look like their devotion and their discipline and their righteousness. It looks, it looks unquestionable. But they've missed the point. The very thing that God desires, they've totally missed it. Because what does the God desires isn't external conformity and obedience, but the heart. God wants your love. And for the scribes, they did have love. But it was a love for themselves. Not a love for God and not a love for their neighbor. And the passage then continues. And as they're in the temple, Jesus makes another observation. But this time, about a woman, a widow. Ironically, Jesus was just talking about a widow, and a widow walks by. Verses 41 to 44, And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now, in the temple treasury, in that section of the temple, if you walked in, you would find 13 trumpet-shaped offering boxes, very weird concept for an offering box, trumpet-shaped offering boxes throughout the treasury. And people would walk in and they would put their offerings. Uh, and because it was like a trumpet shape, I'm, I'm assuming it was made with a similar material that you'd make a trumpet from. So when you put your offering, it'll make a cling cling sound. Um, and if you put in a lot of coins, obviously the sound would be much, much louder. So if it made a loud sound, people were like, oh, this guy put in a lot of money. And the purpose of these offering boxes uh, was for the upkeep of the temple and the services, services conducted by the temple. Uh, for this particular offering, there was no mandatory rule 
of how much you had to put in. Uh, there wasn't even a rule making it mandatory that you had to put in. It wasn't required. It was optional. And so bearing this in mind, Jesus in the temple, he went in with his disciples and he watched a lot of rich people come in and they put in large amounts of money, made like a huge rattling sound as they put their offering in. Uh, and this wasn't unusual. And this in itself is not a bad thing. Um, Jesus isn't condemning people giving out of their wealth. Uh, that's, that's not what he's doing. But Jesus does make an observation about this widow. Uh, and it says not just any widow. Mark is specific that she was a poor widow. Uh, why is that significant? Because all widows by default were poor. Yet Mark is very specific in singling this one quality, that she wasn't just poor, she was really, really poor. She was like genuinely someone that was struggling to survive. Uh, and the text tells us that she put in two small copper coins that add to make a penny. Uh, and if we put that by today's standards, what she had put in, different people give different fractions, uh, different percentages, but the most consistent one I found was that it was about a 164th of a day's wage. That's how much she put in. Uh, I calculated the minimum wage in Sydney. And if you were to calculate 164th of minimum wage after tax, it comes out to about $2, uh, if even that. Uh, it wasn't much in terms of monetary value. But Jesus, observing her actions, decides to point this out to his disciples. He says, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And Jesus puts it in context. The wealthy gave out of their abundance. They had cash to burn. And they gave... out of their riches and their abundance. But again, let me say, nothing wrong with that. That's not what Jesus is condemning. We're also meant to give if you've got a lot of money. But Jesus is wanting to single out this poor widow because there is something special about what she just did. And it's special because, number one, no one probably saw, knew, or cared about how much she gave. Her offering didn't make a big sound as it entered into the box. And she probably didn't want to show people, look how much I'm giving. She wouldn't have made a show of it. Didn't want people to see. So number one, no one probably knew she gave or how much she gave. Number two, remember she wasn't obligated to give. This, this type of offering wasn't mandated by Jewish law. She didn't have to give, but she gave. And number three, knowing that she didn't have to give, she still gave and didn't just give, she gave out of her poverty. And so this poor widow who was struggling financially by this one action becomes, because of Jesus pointing this out, became arguably the most famous person ever to make an offering in church as this account is recorded in the Holy Scriptures. 
And thus the passage concludes with Jesus having made two observations or this comparison between the scribes and the Pharisees. The scribes on the one hand who make a show of their religiosity, exploiting widows for financial gain. And then on the other hand, you have the widow who didn't give for show or praise, but gave sacrificially, even when she didn't have to, because of her love and devotion to God. And that's how today's passage ends. And so as 2023 came to an, or comes to an end, um, what can we say that the voice of God is saying through his word today? Well, I think, a, I think today's passage gives us a few things to think about as we end 2023 and begin 2024. Uh, but like I mentioned, I, I came back from a road trip just yesterday morning, I went to Long Jetty. Never been to Long Jetty before. Um, and I wanted to go so that I could just rest. Uh, when I say rest, I've been busy, so busy during the year. I just wanted time where I could just sit in a place where I could just do nothing. Um, the older you get, you f I find that uh, I just enjoy sitting. Like I'll go to the shopping center or like Ikea and I'll see a chair. I'm like, oh, that's a comfy looking chair. You go on ahead. I'm just going to sit here for the next half an hour. Um, but I wanted to rest. Um, my wife had other plans. She wanted to go to the beach and go hiking. Um, and I said, no way. I want to I rest. Um, so about an hour later, we went hiking. Um, and we were at the beach. Um, and I was with all, all, like this group of pastors. Some of them are ex-pastors. Some of them are getting mentored by pastors. Um, and we were walking near this lighthouse, um, and we ended up on the beach. And as we ended up on the beach, I was miserable because I, I hate sand. Um, and my wife wanted to walk all the way out to the, like, to the water as well. So I was just like, yeah, anyways. Um, and as we were walking, uh, Pastor Alvin kind of gathered the pastors together, and he said, look, let's share how our 2023 was. If you were to rate this past year on a scale of 1 to 10, what would you rate it and why? Uh, and most people gave it an 8 out of 10. Like, well, it wasn't bad. Like, it was good. Uh, it wasn't perfect, but it was, it was all right. Uh, I gave it a, a 4 out of 10. And they're like, huh? Like, they, they, they made that sound. Oh, oh. Like, they, they looked at me. Why'd you, why would you give it a 4? And I gave it a 4 because it's been a tough year. Uh, not, not because of church, um, but because of things outside of church. Uh, work's been very, very hard. Um, like things happened in the family, and and as I explained everything that I'd gone through, they were like, "Oh, yeah, okay, that that makes sense. Uh, why don't we pray for a better 2024?" And then we started sharing other things, because despite how our year had gone, uh, one of the questions that came up was that whether you know it went right, whether things went wrong. How was your heart for God in 2023? And more specifically, when things went well, did we celebrate and worship with a heart of thanksgiving? When things were going bad, did we petition God, learn to lean upon him more, rest upon him more, and press on in this bad season, trusting in his sovereign plan and will. 
trusting that this good God is going to lead us through this terrible season? Or when things were going okay, did we continue to remain in his word, receptive to his voice, like a slow-burning fire, content and glad? If I were to diagnose my heart in 2023, I will confess, I don't know if this is going to disappoint some of you, uh, there were times when things got tough that I felt like I was simply going through the motions. I don't know whether you have an elevated view of pastors. We are human. Um, And there's times where I, I just felt like I was a robot going through the motions. When things got really tough, there were times where I told myself, it doesn't matter how I feel. doesn't matter what you're going through. doesn't matter how tough things are for you. You're a minister of God's word. And because you're a minister of God's word, no matter what you're going through, it's important that you learn to cast that all aside. That this is just your cross to bear. And you have to grit your teeth, bear it, until this season subsides. You just have to, you just have to get through it. And looking back now, uh, I repent of that. And I will confess that this is a terrible thing to do. Even if you're not a pastor, this is the worst thing to do. Why? Because often, kind of like the scribes, this type of thought process will lead, just like the scribes, to a distorted obedience that doesn't stem from a love of God. Why? Because this idea and this thought process that when the going gets tough, I just need to grit and no one cares. I, need, I just need to cast this aside and keep doing the work of ministry. The reason why that's so dangerous is because you forget that in the midst of this, you are loved by a perfect God. In the midst of this difficult season, season when you think you just, you just need to get through it, like it doesn't matter how you're feeling, God cares how you feel. God cares what you are going through. God loves you. And it's only when you realize this that it really starts to give birth to your love for God. Otherwise, you are left with an obedience and a righteousness that doesn't stem from a love for God. And according to Christ, that is a dangerous, distorted, and corrupted form of righteousness and obedience that has no power. And as I prepared this sermon uh, during my road trip, I actually didn't get much done during the road trip. did most of it yesterday. Uh, The conversations I had with these brothers in ministry. Um, I was very grateful for the things we shared. But one of the things that made me realize was that, you know, we, we, we've been going through Mark's gospel and we looked at the chief priest, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Herodians. Um, and we're, we're, we can be quite critical of them, especially because they ch- challenged the Messiah. But I would bet my money, not that I'm a betting man, but if I were to bet, I would bet my money 
that none of these people started their spiritual walk with the intention to end up with a distorted obedience. None of them began their walk and their journey in religion to have an absence of love. No one goes into religious ministry. No one becomes a pastor because they want their love for God to diminish. No one wants to be an empty religious shell of a man. We start off in any religious endeavor because we want to love God through sacrifice and service so that Christ will be honored amongst the nations. And so I don't know if you've already written your list of New Year's resolutions. I'm going to do mine between now and the midnight service in the Korean Mother Church. But I would encourage you, if you've written it already, to revisit them. Or think about this if you haven't written them already. But have an ongoing evaluation about your resolutions about how you can ensure, despite all your endeavors, whether it's you go to the gym, you read the Bible, whatever, whatever it is, find the wife this year, this is, this is, this is going to be the breakthrough year. Like, have an ongoing evaluation that in the midst of all these things, how can I ensure that my heart will continue to be for God? And not just be for God, but that my love for God and my love for neighbor is not just sustained, but will grow throughout the year as I pursue these endeavors. Not just as you pursue them, but as the year goes on, how can I ensure that I'm continuing in these resolutions with a heart of love for God and a love for neighbor, even when the season and the going gets tough? Because often when we fail in our New Year's resolutions and we, we try to return back to them later on in the year, we forget about, you know, we, we think about where we failed externally and we try to have an external remedy. But when it comes to the gospel and our walk with God, it's not about the external. It was never about the external. If it was just about the external, Christ didn't have to have come again. If it was about the external, Christ didn't even have to go to the cross. Because if it was about the external, you could do it by your own strength. But it had to be about the heart. You can't change your heart. Only God can. God says, I, uses the personal pronoun I, I will take out your heart of stone and replace it with the heart of flesh. In John chapter 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter or he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Being born again is outside of your strength and your ability. The only way you can live for God and continue living for God is by tapping into something outside of yourself. And we have that in the person and work of Christ. And the way we tap into that, according to the mechanics of the gospel, is through our love 
and our heart for God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage in Mark's gospel. Uh, we thank you for the gospel writer in Mark, uh, his intentionality, intentionality in recording specific details in the life and ministry of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we look and meditate on today's passage, uh, help us to look beyond simply just not wanting to be like the scribes and wanting to be like a widow. But to understand in humility that many times we exercise the heart of the scribes because we're descendants of Adam. We're not perfect. We repeatedly fall short of the glory of God. And so often, we're oblivious so often to the reality that we have a greater love for self than we have a love for you or our neighbor. But Lord, we pray that as 2024 comes around, that you would allow it to be a year of a new beginning. That despite everywhere and every time we've fallen short in this past year, that beyond resolutions and external things that we do or do not do, that our heart would always remain in Christ. That our love for you would not be extinguished or diminished, but it would be a slow-burning fire until the day we come face-to-face -face with the Messiah. Help us, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.